The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, it's Friday, September 2nd, 2022, and it is indeed a heck of a morning live on the MMA Fighting Twitter Spaces. show will be heard upon completion on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. I am Mike Heck. Happy Friday to us all. We are on the eve of UFC Paris. The official weigh-ins are already in the books. Our man AK was up at like 3 a.m., to get all those compiled for the website. We had Cyril Gahn weighing in at 247. Tai Tuivasa literally hit the limit at 266. Everything is official. That fight, very high stakes. Co-main event is a lot of fun. Sort of flying under the radar, if we're being honest, between Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori. Some local flair, some fun scraps mixed throughout. It should be a fun event. It should be a lot of fun. So we could talk about that because I love Fridays in the show because on Fridays, it's free-for-all Friday, which means we could talk about MMA. We could talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about. So let's not waste any time. Let's get into this. But real quick, we did drop that feature that I've been sort of teasing earlier this morning about the just nasty, hard-to-watch arm-breaking submission from Cage Titans 55. I got everybody together. The fighters involved got to speak to each other for the very first time since the fight. It's been an emotional road for pretty much everybody involved. Even the the 18-year-old kid who just freaking graduated from high school dealing with a lot of negativity because of the submission. It was just a really interesting 
journey to hear the stories and hear each side of it. So I spoke with both fighters. I spoke with the Cage Titans president, Michael Polver, and Wayne Downer, the kid who got the guy who got his arm broken. He's got a long road ahead of him. Broken humorous. He's not only a fighter, but he's a he's a truck driver full time as well. So this injury is going to hamper him, not just as a fighter, but with his basically day-to-day life for a long time. So the man's going to need some help. And if you feel so inclined, you can go to the podcast where we shared the link in the podcast, the future podcast. It's about 20 or so minutes. I actually thought it came out really great. And then there's also links in the write-up as well. Uh, and go to GoFundMe.com slash Wayne Downer. They're trying to raise $10,000 for them. I think we're right around 2000 right now, but I think we could do a little bit better to help this guy out. Uh, it was his first M- MMA fight. It was actually both their first MMA fights, which is crazy to think about. Even the kid who won, who has a lot of talent, I've talked to a lot of people about him. I mean, that's his first MMA fight, and he's dealing with so much backlash and everything because of it. And it's not really fair. It's not really fair. So if you want to help out, you want to check out that story, it's on MMAfighting.com. It's on the podcast network and and all that good stuff. And I just want to, once again, thank everybody who who took part in it. And a big shout out and thank you to Michael Pulver for getting everybody all together uh, to make this happen. To both fighters for having the comfort three days later when we recorded everything. To, to jump on and converse with each other. It's, it's just a crazy story. So uh, there you go. Let's get right into this thing. Let's go to the peeps. Let's go to you. And let's go to Mikey Bats. Mikey, hello. What's up, buddy? Morning, Mikey. Morning, everybody. How's it going? What's going on? Oh, nothing much, man. Just it's a big weekend end for both MMA and pro wrestling fans. It's like literally... Every day is something. I mean, WWE's Clash of the Castle and uh, UFC Paris are probably going to go head-to-head, so I'm going to have my head on a swivel tomorrow morning. You know, that's going to be fucking madness. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, anyways, um, just to get back at it, man, like, just to touch on what uh, I spoke about the other day, about how I think just for the overall flow of M- of heavyweight, that if Taito Vas won, that would be better. You know, not better, but you know what I mean? Like, we all know Siragon is going to be a top five heavyweight no matter what. He'll be in the title picture no matter what. But if we're looking for, you know, if we don't want heavyweight to be stagnant, we need some new blood, right? And, you know, Ty's win could probably help facilitate that, especially with, again, the if John Jones is ever going to freaking fight, and it seems like he is going to fight um, Nganu, and Nganu seems to be keen on re-signing back with the UFC or getting that last fight worked out, whatever it is, it seems like all systems are going towards, you know, Francis is going to be back soon, not just injury-wise, but, like, his situation is going to be worked out with the UFC. So hopefully we'll get some movement up at uh, heavyweight real, real soon. And, um, yeah, so just some thoughts on that just for this morning. So thanks, guys. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was saying after Ty knocked out Derek Lewis that he should just get a title shot. Of course, we didn't really foresee everything going on. I mean, with the injury and I mean, we knew Francis was hurt, but you know, what was going on with the contract stuff behind the scenes and all of that. And then John Jones saying he's going to fight. 
maybe September, obviously that's not happening. And now maybe the end of the year, but I mean, I, I've already said it like at this point, there's no need to really do an interim title fight unless they can't re-sign Francis. If they can't re-sign Francis, then you don't, and you still don't need to do an interim title fight. You don't need to do an interim title fight at all. It's either Francis re-signs all is well. You just go right to Francis versus John Jones you wait. You just wait for it. Well, like, what's the point? Just wait two or three months. I talked to Eric Nixick the other day, the head coach of Francis Ngannou, and he said, because I know Francis had said a, a few different times, like, maybe I'll be able to fight in December. Doesn't look like that's a possibility. That'd be just ridiculous if he could come back in nine months after all of that. But Eric seems pretty confident beginning of next year, Francis could be back, maybe February or March. So at that point, just wait. Like if Francis resigns and can fight in February or March, then just go right to the John Jones well. That's what we're building towards anyways. Just go right to it. And I know it kind of sucks for Stipe, but Stipe, by the time March rolls around, it'll be two years since Stipe's fought. So if you have to choose between the two of them, and if Eric had his druthers, it would be one of those two guys, you wait for John. You wait for John Jones. Because that's the fight that's going to get Francis back. I mean, obviously, the Tyson Fury thing, if the UFC can work something out on that end, that would certainly help. But if Francis resigns and is fighting Stipe again, like, he'd do it. But the big selling point is getting him in there with John. That's the biggest fight he can get right now. So just wait three months and do it. Two months, three months. February, March, like, you don't need to rush John in there if you could just wait two or three months to have him fight Francis. And if Francis doesn't resign, you just do John versus Stipe for the actual title. So no interim stuff. You don't need it here. You already put a dumb interim title fight together last year with Gon and Derek Lewis, which made absolutely no sense. Or yeah, you, you just, you don't need to do it. You don't need to do it. So, but it, with the actual question that you're talking about, boy, I think and I know Jed disagrees with me. I think all the pressure, everything is on the line here for Cyril Gaon. Now, I'm not saying that if Cyril loses to Tai Tuivasa, he'll never get back to a title shot or be in the conversation, because he will. He's just only going to get better and better as he goes. But right now, with where this division stands and the craziness of it all, Cyril's got to win this fight. He's fighting in Paris. They built this whole card around him. He has to win. He can't drop too straight with how everything looks right now. There's so many unknowns and so many questions. If Gon wins, I don't think, like, it stinks for Ty and it sets him back a little bit, but I don't think it cripples him as much as it would Cyril Gon losing this fight because Ty's a very popular guy. Like, Cyril's a great fighter and people like him. He's a very positive presence in the space and we love that. But Ty is going to be the guy that is going to sell more tickets. He's going to be the guy that, People gravitate towards social media views, etc. People are going to be more excited to see Tai Tuivasa in a fight, at least right now with, with what Tai Tuivasa has done over the last five fights, Derek Lewis win, etc. If Tai Tuivasa beats Cyril Gaon, his next fight has to be for the title. It has to be. He's going to have to wait a little bit, and if he's willing to wait till the summer of next year... He should not be fighting. If, if Tai Tuivasa beats Cyril Gaon tomorrow and they book him against Curtis Blades, that would just be a travesty. 
a absolute travesty. And you, and you kind of feel for Curtis because he's been in this conversation for a long time. He just keeps getting passed over. He's just been the enemy of timing when it comes to this heavyweight division. But in this situation, he gets passed over again and you give Ty a shot because eventually Ty's going to lose. If Ty beats Ciro Gan, eventually he's going to lose. And maybe he won't. What like The story of Ty Tuivasa becoming the heavyweight champion of the world would just be unbelievable. So I think the UFC is probably looking at things the same way. And even Eric, in a way, was looking at it because he understands how hard it can be to deal with John Jones and Stipe at times. And if Ty wins, that's probably the next best option. But Casero's not getting a title shot with the win. He just lost. He just got a title shot and he lost. So Cyril has to win. I think the line share of pressure is on him. Ty can lose and still bounce back a little bit quicker than Cyril can because he's a fresh matchup for a lot of these guys at the top of the division. And you could do a lot with Ty. And you can still do a lot with Cyril, too. Like, I feel like two, three years from now, we're going to be looking at Cyril gone in a whole different way for better. Like, he's real good now, but you can tell, just going back and watching the Francis fight, he's still still a little green. Still a little green. So, but he's going to get there. He's only going to get better. But he's got to win this fight. He's almost a minus 600 favorite here. You got to win. You got to win at home. You got to make it happen. And you can't lose. You just can't lose if you're, if you're zero gone. Let's go to Terrence. Hello, Terrence. How are you doing today? Happy Friday. What's up, buddy? Thank you. Um, so I want to talk about the whole um, Usman situation. Well, not situation, but more or less Usman and his legacy or what have you. So, Woodley had four title retaining uh, fights. I know one of them was Steven, Wonderboy, and he there was a draw. But um, Usman had five. Um, I think it's underappreciated as to uh, Woodley in regards to, like, he has these fights with people that other people didn't want to fight. And stylistically, they were bad matchups. But he went through it where Usman, not taking anything away from him, he fought in his title ring two people four times. Um, so only other person that wasn't that was Jorge and Kobe was Burns. And <clears throat> I just wanted to talk about how good and how underappreciated Woodley Rain was because everybody was talking about Woodley whenever he was getting ready to fight, losing like how he could be the next up as far as like being the greatest welterweight um, next to GSP. But once he lost, everybody forgot about him and he got clowned because of the fact that he lost four fights in a row and no longer, no longer is in the running for this discussion at all. But if past prologue, if this happens to Usman, will everybody forget about all the good stuff that he has done? Um, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about was grapplers. Everybody talk about grapplers um, wanting to fight strikers and strikers not wanting to fight grapplers, but Grapplers usually don't want to fight other grapplers either. Um, so I wanted to know, like, where the disconnect is with fans. Like, nobody clowns grapplers for not wanting to fight other grapplers, but they'll, find, they'll clown strikers when it comes to the adverse. So that's more or less what I want to talk about. And that's all I have for you. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I, I, we, we've, I mean, we definitely talked about the Wonder Boy thing. And I listen, if I'm Wonder Boy at this point, you're far away from a title fight. You don't want to like fight 
Rachmanov or anything like that. You just fought Bilal and got taken down over and over and over again. You fought Gilbert, got wrestled to death, essentially. The fight wasn't really all that competitive. But I, I think the Woodley question is actually really interesting. And it's it's I agree with you that he was an underrated champion. But it's different because Usman says a lot of like things that don't make a lot of sense, like the whole Canelo thing and even the 205 talk. Like you want challenges, you're you're running out of options. I get it. But I feel like in a lot of ways, like both guys dealt with a lot of the same things when it comes to the fans. Never, neither guy has really gotten over with the people. Now, Usman has had chances for sure. He had two fights with MMA's biggest villain, Colby Covington, finished him in one of those fights. And he just, everyone thought, okay, he goes out there and knocks Colby out. He's going to be a star. And it just never happened. He's just never been able to translate over. But what people realized about Usman is that, yeah, he fought a couple of guys in different ways, but and he kind of had that boring moniker attached to him, which Woodley had attached to him as well at certain points in his career. But Usman has done a lot to kind of change that because the Colby fight, the first one was, it was an awesome fight. The second one was a really good fight too. Really close, really competitive fight. And then goes out and finishes Gilbert Burns, overcame some adversity in that fight. One of the craziest knockouts you'll ever see against Jorge Mazadal. And I know that he got a lot of flack after the first Mazadal fight, but a lot of what people don't always understand is like they, the whole heroics behind it was on Mazadal's side because he stepped up on eight days notice to replace Gilbert Burns and go to Abu Dhabi and, and, and fight Usman. At the same token, Usman had to change everything around to fight Mazadal. It wasn't the, best fight to watch in the world no but Usman still said sure I'll fight him and it's funny because we're we just passed the 10 10 year anniversary of UFC 151 getting canceled because Dan Henderson got hurt couldn't fight John Jones and then the UFC tried to scramble and find an opponent very similar situation so they went with Chael Sonnen who was a very popular fighter at the time and John said and his team said no it's too short notice too too much of a change. We're not fighting. And they scrapped the whole event. And the UFC put out that press release. There There's actually an episode on the podcast network right now called Damn They Were Crazy. And it's Jed, Mishu, AK, Sean Alshadi going back and just reliving that time. But also Jed talks to Greg Jackson about it too, 10 years later. It's just really good stuff. But Usman, I, I, it's, it's, it's weird because... Usman's been able to bounce back from a lot of the criticism. He went out and got finishes. He had some good fights along the way. And yeah, he says things, but Woodley said a lot of things too. Woodley said a lot of things. Woodley came out a lot of times and said, like, I'm not fighting this guy. Like, I'm fighting this guy. I'm fighting Nick Diaz. I'm fighting George St. Pierre. When, like, none of these fights are even possible. And I know Usman kind of did the same thing with Canelo, but that's, like, a big reach. And the 205 thing, like, while it was a reach, it was still a possibility. And people just viewed Usman as just a sensational fighter. And Woodley, like Woodley's had some, some good performances. I remember back in 2015 when he beat Kelvin Gastelum and he waited well over a year. Wouldn't fight anybody unless it was for the belt. Now it worked out for him because he was supposed to fight Johnny Hendricks. 
that whole thing didn't play out well because Hendricks missed weight. And I guess it was kind of a reward for Woodley to get the title fight with Robbie Lawler. It becomes the champion. The second fight with Wonderboy was terrible. The fight with Damian Maia was terrible. But the first fight with Steven Thompson was great. It's one of the fights of the year. Might have won the fight of the year in a lot of people's eyes. But it was a majority draw. And no one really remembers it that he beats Darren Till. And then he loses to Usman. But again, this is what... I think what really hurt Tyron Woodley in this title run was not fighting Colby. That was the fight everybody wanted to see. Everybody wanted to see the Colby fight. It made so much sense for the belt, and it just never got put together. And good or for bad, I don't really know how it really shaped up, but that was a that, that's a big missed fight. Now, he ended up fighting him later, and he got absolutely run over. But Us- like we kind of have to wait and see how we can compare them. Like if Usman goes out to London and fights Leon Edwards and just puts his back against the fence and like doesn't throw anything, then we're going to start viewing him the same way. But what Tyron Woodley did after the Usman fight is like he just did did nothing. Like he did nothing. Gilbert just took him. He just stood against the fence. Gilbert took him down and beat him up. Woodley wasn't really throwing much back at him. Covington just annihilated him. And then he fought Vicente Luque, and we saw sort of the old Tyron Woodley come back, and he just went for it. And then Luque cracked him a bunch of times and ended up submitting him, and then he went on and boxed Jake Paul twice and got knocked out viciously in December. So, I mean, those losses, those four losses for Woodley have not aged well, especially with now people are throwing the Jake Paul stuff in there as well. The legacy's hurt a little bit. It shouldn't hurt it that much because he's the first ballot Hall of Famer, in my opinion. But when you look back on the career of Tyron Woodley, especially right now for newer fans, he's known as the guy who lost to Jake Paul twice. He's known as the guy who got brutally knocked out by Jake Paul. So it's a, it's a very fair question to ask. Like why, why is Usman not getting sort of the, the lower end of the stick like, like Tyron did? But I think it's, it's a little too soon to a little too soon to compare the two. We'll see how Usman bounces back. Now, if Usman bounces back and beats Leon Edwards, we're having a whole different conversation. And maybe that's the moment that gets Usman over. That's the American way. You fall down, you get back up. You go to enemy territory and you get back a win. It's like a Sylvester Stallone Rocky story in a lot of ways. So we'll see what happens. A little too soon to compare the two, but it's a fair question. It's definitely a fair question. But... Woodley just kept falling off the cliff and Usman is just kind of hanging on right now. And we'll see if he can pull himself back up. If he does, we're having a whole different conversation. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's go to Zeke. What's up, Zeke? Heck of a morning to you, Mike. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing all right. Um, I got, I mean, I guess I got two things for you. I'll be short and sweet. First thing first, I mean, I think you, you really knocked into it last episode. Um, Robert Whitaker. I mean, is he, you know, going to have to do what he's been mentioning this week and go up after this fight? Do you think he's actually going to be able to take care of it, Tori? Because I'm not going to tell you a lie. I don't see a way that this stop gets, uh, this fight gets stopped. I think that uh, both those guys just going to go in there, unleash the gas tank. I think there's going to be a lot of sloppy. I mean, I don't want to say sloppy when I talk about Robert Whitaker striking, but you know Marvin Vittori is kind of like a uh, – you know, car dealership balloon when he's striking. He just throws his arms out in front of you and runs in front of you and crushes you. But, uh, yeah, what do you think about Robert Whitaker and what's next for him? And uh, I guess really just talking about the main event. I mean, uh, it's going to be pretty – I don't want to say impressive, but first time we're going to Paris. Of course, Cyril gone from France. I think it's going to be interesting, to say the least, how the UFC gets, you know, their pop, to say the least, from the country of France. So talking about the main event and I guess what's next for uh, Robert Whitaker. Thank you, sir. Whitaker's interesting right now. He's in an interesting place because, and both of these guys are, Whitaker and Vittori, because whoever wins this fight, if they're going to, especially for Whitaker, who's talked about moving to 205, if they're going to get a title shot, they need two things to happen. Well, one thing needs to happen, and then another thing is going to happen. One is that they need Alex Pereira to beat Israel Adesanya. And two, they have to be willing to wait to get a title shot because if Pereira wins, and I know there's history there, and Pereira has two kickboxing wins over Adesanya, which, by the way, I've said this before and I'll say it again, I completely agree with Israel Adesanya when it comes to how people just break down the kickboxing bouts without actually watching them, because they're both very competitive fights. I thought Adesanya actually won the first fight. Didn't. It was a close fight. Could have gone either way. It's not like a robbery or anything. And the second fight was really competitive, too, and Adesanya's probably winning that second fight until he got knocked out, so... There's a story there, and, and there's a chance that, especially if Adesanya loses, they're going to go right back to that well, try to sell some more tickets, try to sell some more pay-per-views, build upon that that story that they've been building since Pereira signed with the UFC. So they would just have to be willing to wait to get a title shot. But I think this is a potential number one contender fight for one of these guys if Pereira can win twice. So a lot would need to happen. And then for Whitaker, like if he wants to go to 205, he's going to have to take some time to hit the weights and bulk up and get bigger and get stronger and do that. It's going to take some time too. So 
the fight's flying under the radar. The state, I mean, they're basically battling for the number two position. And Pereira is like an interesting part of this conversation too, because Pereira could be the second best middleweight in the world, but he could also be like the ninth best middleweight in the world. And we don't know yet. So we have to see how this fight plays out without Asanya. But yeah, it's, it's an under the radar fight. It's a very relevant fight for the division, but the stakes, at least for the, for the short term, are not all that high. But it'll be interesting to see the aftermath for both these guys, especially Robert Whitaker, win or lose. And the main event's just going to be... I'm not going to... Like, the main event is fun. Those are some, some tr- supremely high stakes in this fight, especially for Cyril Gong, because he's got he's to keep winning to stay on track. If Tai Tuivasa wins, the stakes are very high for him. But on the same token... He's playing with house money, in my opinion. He's playing with house money. If he wins, that's massive. He'll get a title fight, more than likely, as, as he should. And that'll be just a really cool story. And if he loses, like, it's not the end of the world. Look at the betting lines. He's like a plus 500 underdog. So he's expected to lose this fight. If he wins, it's great. And if he loses, he'll just, he can still headline fight night cards. He'll be a featured fight on a main card. People just love to see Tai Tuivasa drink beer out of people's shoes and all that fun stuff. Like Tai is not a superstar, but he's he's a very popular star for the company right now. So a loss for Tai stings, but depending on what happens with this division, Tai is still a fresh matchup for Nganu and Jones and Stipe and all these bigger names at the top of this division. So another win or two gets him right back in the conversation because the UFC likes to do fresh matchups as often as possible. So I, it's the stakes are interesting. The feeling is interesting. As far as how I break the fight down from an actual viewer, viewership perspective, I think this fight will be really interesting for about seven minutes. And if it goes beyond that, it's going to be a bad night for Ty Tuivasa. Ty's got to get it done quick. If this gets extended at all, if we go into the third round, Ty's just going to go. Ty's just going to have a field day and probably win a decision, maybe get a late finish. But the first round and a half of that fight, we're going to be on our toes, that's for sure. Let's go to Rel. Hello, Rel. Good morning. Heck of a morning, Mike. How you doing? I'm good. So I just wanted to ask, I seen, so Kamo, in his title reign, he has a few rematches, right? So I was wondering, do... Do you give him more respect in his title reign for being able to beat a few people twice as opposed to just running through new person after new person? Or do you, like, what do you, is that, I just thought that was interesting to me. He has a few rematches. I'm like, does that, is it easier or harder to beat somebody twice or, you know, study a new opponent and do it for the first time? Thank you. Have a good morning. It's it's probably the same, honestly. I mean, but we have to we also have to remember, like, it's not like Usman just came into the UFC, won three fights and got a title shot, and then just got a bunch of rematches. This guy had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine wins in a row before he got a title shot. And he fought all different guys. Leon Edwards is one of them. Then he fought Sean Strickland. That win has aged very well, if we're being honest. And then you know, there's some things along the way. The I remember the Emil Mack fight where he was 30% of himself and people kind of moaned and groaned about that. Goes out and just 
beats Damian Maya easily, he beats Rafael Dos Anjos easily. Just and he just put a whooping on Tired Woodley. That fight was not competitive for a single second. Then he goes and fights Colby, who, in most people's opinion, that is the second best welterweight on planet Earth, and has a great fight with Colby. Finishes him in the fifth. Then he gets the Mazadal fight, which, by the way, was a short notice fight. Then he fights Gilbert. They they run that one. Gilbert's a former teammate. These guys know each other very well. There's a lot of motion involved for both guys. Gets hurt early, comes back, finishes Gilbert Burns. Now, we also have to remember that the Mazadal rematch was not a, this is not a meritocratic decision. This was a, hey, we're finally getting fans back in the building. How can we sell as many tickets as possible decision? They're in Florida. You put the biggest star in the division on that card. Mazadal built it up really well. He's got pillow hands. He can't hurt me. All of this. I'm ready for the wrestling, all that. And what we got was an incredible moment. Now, I've been saying for a long time, strike the word deserves from your vocabulary. I didn't have a problem with the Mazadal fight being booked there. It was two months after the Gilbert Burns fight. So this was like, after dealing with the emotional toll of the buildup to the Gilbert Burns fight, asking all the questions about the team and the coaches and all that, a little over two months later, the UFC calls him up and says, hey, we need you, dude. We need you to defend your title again. Gets Mazadal, says yes, knocks his ass out in the second round, and then he gets Colby again. Now, the rematch thing is, is a little different in this case because, again, and Dana White has said it many times, and so have I and so have many other people, in a world without Kamara Usman pre-UFC 278, Colby Covington is probably the welterweight champion. Colby is still the best, the second best welterweight in the world, in my opinion. And there's a lot of people out there who still feel Colby won that fight. I am not one of them. It was a competitive fight. I think it's it could have been fair to, to throw a 10-8 into one of those rounds where Usman got a couple of knockdowns. But clearly, Covington won the second half of that fight. Usman won the first half, and Covington had the second half. If that was like a seven-rounder. Colby's going to win. So... It's just the way the division is kind of shaped right now. This is before Shemaev really went on his role, and we were kind of unsure what Shemaev's future was going to be at this point because he had the really bad bout with COVID, and he was out for a while, and he ended up fighting Li Jingliang like a week before that. So then we got to see like Shemaev's back and, and everything. So now you got Leon and, and everything and, and the aftermath of all that. So it's just kind of the weirdness of the division, but it's not like Usman – He's only had like eight fights in the UFC and he's had a couple of rematches. Now he's been in the UFC for a while and he's fought pretty much everybody he's needed to, to get to where he's at. So it's, it's, I see where you're coming from, but I also like New York Rick says this all the time. You know, if it was up to him, the two best guys would fight a million times that they have to. And Usman and Covington are the two best guys and the Mazadal thing we know what that was about. It wasn't a meritocratic decision. It was a, how can we sell pay-per-views and how can we sell out this arena when we're bringing fans back after this thing called the pandemic? And you bring in the biggest star in the division, and that's exactly what they did. So now we'll see what Usman's really made of. For anybody who, who kind of questioned the road and his title reign in general, now we're going to see. Now he has another rematch. For this one, he was, he's trying to get back a victory in a, in a tough one. 
a fight he was winning. The first round was tough, but a fight he won the next 19 minutes and change and then gets knocked out with under a minute and loses the title. So I'm really interested in that fight. I'm really interested in, in Makachev versus Oliveira. And number two on my list of upcoming fights in terms of intrigue and questions, it's that third fight, 100%. Let's go to Danan or Danan. Are you there? Just got to unmute. Oh, sorry, can you hear me? Yep, I got awesome. you. Uh, first off, I just want to say, Mike, you've been, you've been absolutely crushing it. In the last year, I listened to a lot of different podcasts on MMA. And you have been uh, unbelievable, just asserting yourself and becoming a real uh, superstar in the area. So, so well done, sir. Thank um, you. Appreciate that. The, uh, my main point is yesterday I watched the, um, the One Championship show on Amazon. And I have to say that I was actually blown away by it. Um, I thought that the um, production values were amazing. Yes, over the top a little bit, but, but still pretty... Um, uh, pretty incredible. Uh, I thought the fight, the the quality of the uh, fighting was was exceptional. Watching heavyweights who were able to uh, do jujitsu like that, um, their striking was amazing. All the the Muay Thai with the four inch gloves was super exciting. Um, I thought that it was an unbelievable card, and I'm kind of shocked that the MMA community, while they're giving you know some flowers, are not are they don't seem as excited about it, and they don't feel like I, I feel like one now is is positioned to be the you know the number two, um, and really start growing in the American audience. So I, I guess my question to you is, um, why is the MMA, MMA media not as excited about one as uh, maybe they should be? Interesting question. We talked about this a little bit earlier this week, but we'll definitely get back into it. I will say this: I watched many one championship cards. I think. First of all, this deal with Amazon Prime is brilliant because everybody has freaking Amazon Prime. So it's very easy to locate. It's very easy to watch. Yes, the production levels are great. Yes, there's some weirdness to it. It gets a little hokey at times. But all in all, this was a fantastic debut on the platform. 100%. It was one of the best shows they've ever put on, if we're being honest. Everybody delivered. We got Puchecha. We got the Muay Thai. We got the kickbox with the four outs. We had, we had everything. We had DJ with the big moments, one of the knockouts of the year. It's been a great week for DJ. And I think Leon Edwards knocking out Kamara Usman gave DJ a little bit extra shine heading into that fight. And then he delivers in the fight. Such a cool moment. And DJ's kind of getting some of that buzz back that he should have been having all along. To answer your question, it's because we just have so many questions about one. Bloody Elbows did a fantastic job of digging into sort of the financial side of things, some of the inaccuracies in a lot of things that they have portrayed in terms of finances and numbers and different sort of investments and things like that. In addition, they say some things that are just not true and really dumb. Like this whole thing of, Billions and billions of people watch our cards every single event. That is absolutely not true. It's just stupid. Like, I don't know why they say those things, and it just makes them look bad. But the main reason that 
we have questions is the safety of the fighters. Now, they have come out many, many times and said, well, we have changed weight cutting forever. It is safe to fight here. You're essentially fighting at your natural weight. We have hydration tests throughout the week, and we do weigh-ins, and it's all about the health and safety of the fighters. That's great, but you do it behind lock and key, and nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows what's happening. This Adrian Marais situation has me baffled because Marias has the issue with the scale. He has his hydration numbers that are way too high. And then all of a sudden, just later that day, he is able to make the weight and his hydration levels are exactly where they're supposed to be. But yet nobody sees him doing anything. And all of a sudden, like, first of all, the hydration level numbers, unless he is just a mutant, it's not physically possible. Like, Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe Adriano Marias is a freak of nature, but it's to me, it's just not physically, humanly possible for his hydration numbers to be where they were at, at first glance, to where it was before they fought. Secondly, you cannot convince me that Adriano Marias is a bantamweight. DJ woke up, fought, and like didn't need to cut a pound. Like... He walked in, walks around at like 140, probably cut a couple pounds, just run laps, made the weight. And Adriano Marias on fight night looked like a friggin' lightweight. He looked like a friggin' lightweight. He looked two weight classes above DJ. But again, we have so many questions about one. Like what's true, what isn't? Why are they not putting these weigh-ins and hydration tests out publicly? Why are they not streaming this on YouTube? Why can't media members go in and watch? Like, come on now. It's just so dumb. It's just so dumb. And then you don't have the questions anymore. But the fact that they continuously get asked about it and they still haven't changed anything, it's concerning. It's concerning. And it makes us, when I think of one, like I think the fighters are great. I love the Roberto Soldi signing. I'm excited he's fighting there. DJ's there. They got some good names. But where are some of the fight? Like, there are certain fighters who haven't fought in a long time, and there's no reason why. The guy who knocked out, I, I, his name's slipping me at the time because he hasn't fought in so friggin' long. The dude who brutally knocked out Sage Northcutt. Where has he been? He hasn't fought since then. Why? Why? He's not hurt. He could fight. Why is he not fighting? So I'd love to talk to them about it, but there's just too many questions. There's too many questions, and while one can put on fun cards, when I think of them, and I'm not alone on this, Part of me wants to roll my eyes just because there's just, there's no details. There's no, nothing's public. Everything's behind closed doors. It's a little shady. It's a little shady. And until that's fixed, my feelings about one are not going to change. I don't think they're the number two promotion. I don't think they reach as many homes and viewers as even close to what they're saying they're putting out there. They have good fighters. They put on fun events. 1X is a great card. There's certain things they've done well, but there's a lot they don't do well. And until they fix that, I just can't take them that seriously. I can't. And I'm not going to. There you go. And, and listen, I'm not... To add to this, I have issues with, with Bellator. I think Bellator does a lot of things wrong too. They should be in a much better spot than they're in right now. But just certain things they do in terms of 
building fight cards, putting things together. They just, every time they get momentum, they shoot themselves in the foot. One issue in particular is we are October, November, we are three months away from this Bantamweight Grand Prix semifinals. And the big one that they're selling, and rightfully so as they should, because one half of this, because both guys have done a tremendous job building their stock throughout all of this, Danny Sabatello and, Ra- and Rafian Stotts. It's a great fight. And the build to it, we were all excited for it. They go on the MMA Hour and they do a face-to-face interview, which is great. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. But that same week, you do like three or four more face-to-faces? Like, why? Why? Why would you do that? You have three more months to set up these face-to-faces. But you're just going to knock them all out one by one, one day, the next day, and then the next day on all these different platforms? Come on. Spread it out. Like, you've, you've, you've emptied the chamber three months before the fight's supposed to happen. Ugh, just it just drives me nuts. And then PFL, too. PFL makes a lot of mistakes. I'm, I'm still not over this, hey, you know what's a great idea? Let's do the playoffs overseas where 25% of our fighters, including guys who are favored to win the whole damn thing, can't travel to. Why would you do that? What is the point? Like, I understand you're trying to go a little more international and you're tapping into different markets. You got PFL Europe and all that. You want to have a presence. That's cool. But at least give some freaking notice so that these guys can get visas to travel over there. And now, like, the whole thing got flubbed up. It's just no one's number two. It's the UFC. And then way down the ladder, you have... Bellator PFL one kind of vying it out. I would probably put Bellator as a slight edge. PFL's building one is just kind of there until we answer some questions. But I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. If the UFC was off and Bellator, PFL, and one had cards the same day, and BKFC had a card the same day, BKFC the traffic and interest for their card, especially if there's like somebody of interest on it is going to double what those three organizations do combined in terms of interest and traffic. And I know this because I've seen it multiple times. I know BKFC is an MMA, but people pay attention to them much more than all three other promotions combined. Now the DJ moment obviously got a lot of attention and a lot of buzz and people may not have watched the card and went back and wanted to watch the highlight of the finish. And it did really well. The reactions to it, spectacular. It was lightning in a bottle, hundred percent. But if we're talking about how people watched the card, viewed it for results on Friday and then compared to BKFC on Saturday, BKFC blew the doors off of them. And which is even weirder is that, the freaking KSI card blew the doors off of everybody. It's just, it's weird. It's weird. But let's keep going. I went off on my tangent long enough. Let's go to William. Hello, William. Got to unmute. There you go. I don't hear you. All right, William, get back in. And I'll, I'll, I'll bust, I'll, I'll get you up there. All right, let's go to Viking MMA. 
And then we'll go to Eric. Unless William gets back in, then he's next. Viking, are you there? You're muted, Viking. There Hello. we go. Hello, Mike. Hey, buddy. I got you. How are you? I'm good. You are my one of favorite person on the earth, even if you don't reply on my, on Instagram. Mm, that's not a problem. Actually, I was watching BTL last night, and let me tell you the one thing, Mike, that round three was a draw, absolutely draw. <laughs> you you need to add that rule in the rule book, man, because you are the maker of the show, right? And Jadmish Chandler and New York Rick, they both had their say, and they put out uh, an equal analysis. I absolutely that was a draw. Mm, I watched that Eric Nixick interview too. That was great. That was another great thing, man. And but my question is, why don't you do interviews more? Actively, and the other thing is, I listen my part on the podcast network of MMAfighting.com, which is a great website. And every time, and let me tell you that my background sound sucks. I don't know why, Mike, but every time my background voice is so disturbing. So I want to apologize for that. I use very good earphones, but I don't know what's the matter. And I'm really sorry about that. Apart from that, uh, my question is: If Charles Oliveira wins, there is no big deal because I think he's going to get the job done. But if he loses to Makachev, then do you think he deserves a rematch, or he's not gonna get that rematch? Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. Uh, let me address everything in order. If you hit me up on Instagram and I didn't respond, don't take it personally. I, I have said many times on our shows, I suck at Instagram. I keep promising that I'm going to do more on Instagram, and then I just don't do it. I'll, like, add to stories, and then, like, half of my content on Instagram is just MMA fighting tagging me in a graphic, and I just say, okay, accept. And that's it. Like, that's literally my Instagram prowess. And then the only other thing I use Instagram for is for on to the next one, for fight matchup picks that's it i suck at instagram I'm terrible uh i keep saying i'm gonna learn how to do it better and then i just don't uh so i don't respond to messages all that often on there uh i just there's just a lot with twitter and everything and i'm just it gets a little overwhelming at times and that's just how it is btl with the draws and all that shit like i mean the show is just the points that I give out mean nothing. <laughs> they mean absolutely nothing. It all comes down to the last question 99% of the time. Actually, every time I posted, Jed just gave me the win one time because apparently I'm still the BTL champion because I beat Drake that day, which, I, by the way, I went back and watched that, and I love Drake to death, but I think I beat him too. Anyways, uh, so yeah, I, I, I will say that. Uh, Eric Nixick interview is great. Thank you for... The kind words there. But the main question is, what happens if Charles Oliveira loses? Will he get a rematch? I don't think so. I don't think he will. I mean, it depends. It depends on how it goes. Like, if, if Makachev goes out there and, like, 49-46 is him, no. But if it's one of those things where it's a really close fight and you know how Twitter can be. If we're all on Twitter like, man, that was a great fight, but Oliveira won it. And everyone feels like Oliveira won but then 
maybe some home cooking for, for Islam over there. Not saying that that's exactly the case, but let's just say Islam gets a, deci- a controversial decision. They'll probably run it back, especially if the fight's exciting. But if this is a, mock- a typical patented Makachev performance, I don't think so. I think the weight miss is going to still kind of play a factor. I know the UFC is hopefully going to view Oliveira as the champion heading in, even though he's technically not the champion. Lightweight's just a little crazy right now. It's just a little crazy right now. With Volkanovski, we got Benil Darius, Matush Gamrod, even Connor potentially in the mix. Some of these other guys, the Fazeevs and everybody else on the way up. I think it's. I think it'd be kind of tough to to run that one back unless you have to. But we'll see what happens. Uh, actually, William, you're next. Dixon, you are up. What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, Mike, can you hear me? I got you, hey, man. Mike. Uh, so I'm wondering what what is up with uh, Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler because Poirier has said uh, that he's fighting November twelfth. We're in September now, and uh, there's still no no announcement. So I'm just wondering what's going on there. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, pretty much what I've been saying since the fight was first announced. It's like in the works or close to being finalized on the MMA hour. It's all about the date. It's all about the date. Poirier clearly wants to fight in MSG. Chandler, it's not like he doesn't want to fight in MSG, but he got a little dinged up in that Tony Ferguson fight, hurt his foot, thinks he might need a little more time. So the fight's going to happen. It's just a matter of the date. Uh, we checked into this because obviously Poirier has tweeted MSG, been asked multiple times. He's fighting in MSG, keeps saying yes, but from all accounts, we have reached out and it's still not done yet. It's still being talked about. Whether or not, And it's just all about the date. It's not about the fight. It's not about whether or not they want to fight each other or anything like that. They both want it. It's just a matter of agreeing to the date. And that's it. What, is it going to be a three-rounder or a five-rounder? If it's a five-rounder, if that's what everybody wants, then you might just want to might just want to wait. Because we don't even know what's happening in December yet. We don't know anything. I know it seems like Prohashka in Glover is kind of the favorite to headline that car, but that fight's not done yet either. So I don't know. That one might need some help, but if you could throw that one as a five-rounder, if you can't get a second title fight on there, that'd be a damn good co-main event for December 10th. You got two title fights at MSG already. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But really, no, no change. No change as of yet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's see if we can get William in here. They'll go to Eric, and then we'll go to Tristan, and we're going to try to get everybody. William, are you there? Unmute. Let's see if we got you. You there now? Yes. I got it all figured out. Sorry about that. Okay, Okay, so real quick, because you already kind of hit on it. My question is about one championship, and you kind of already touched on it, but not the specific fighter in regards to Cosmo Alexander knocked out Sage yep. Northcutt, and then who knows what happened to him. 
what the bush is going on with Eddie Alvarez? Do you have any insight on him and his situation? I know he's kind of older. He's taking some punishment. But at the end of the day, can we see the guy fight? Yeah, man. Uh, I don't have any insight. Anytime I, I ask, I get I don't really get a response about it. I don't know. I think he's just trying to take his time and look for the right fights. I will say this, though. If they book him against Roberto Soldich, I will lose all faith in humanity. Please don't do that. For the love of God, do not do that. I know it's what Roberto called for. And it's probably the right call-out to make, if we're being honest, because that's like the biggest name he could possibly fight right now. But one, please, if you could hear the sound of my voice, don't book that fight. Don't book that fight. Please. Please, please, please. But I don't know. I don't know. Now with this deal with Prime, I assume we'll see him fight within the next, I don't know, maybe by like the spring. I don't, but I honestly have no insight at all. Every time I've asked, I've, I've gotten really nothing about it. So I wish I had a better answer for you. Eric, are you there? Eric, try again because I'm not hearing you. All right, let's go to Tristan. What's up, Tristan? Good morning to you, Mike. Uh, just a couple of thoughts and questions. Uh, thought this was funny. <laughs> uh, P- uh, Michelle Pierre was uh, complaining on. I saw it on his tweet. He was kind of complaining, like, "Hey, why can't we make the fight with um, Wonder Boy in Brazil?" And then, and then Rock Bottom retweets, "I'm available," and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like laughing because I'm like. Me and Mike were just talking about this a heck of a morning last week, and I'm just like laughing. I look into the comments, everybody's like, Rock Model, calm down. But watch it, sit tight. <laughs> You're not fighting here. <laughs> Come on, stop it. I was just, I thought it was, I cracked me up. I was, I was laughing my butt off when that happened. I was like, oh man. But I'm like saying to myself, why not, man? Brazil, Rock Model, yeah, let's go. But I know you shot that down quick. He's not taking that fight, so. Um, he shouldn't. <laughs> Um, what should we call it? And then, um, I just read the story of Julia Alva, Alvia, uh, the Raging Panda, and that was a great article by you, I think. My only thing, my only question was with that was, I think you asked the question, well, did you ever approach the UFC about your ideas and what you think? And then she said, like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, I'm complaining or whatever. But I'm like saying to myself, I was like, employees over there. They can't be that bad. They can't be all like, oh, she's complaining or whatever. I, I think I would think they would take heed to it and be like, oh, that, that's, that sounds pretty good. You know, like, oh, let's look into this more. So I maybe, maybe possibly maybe the approach she could have worked on of like, I want to present this idea to them. Because I, I think also, too, like maybe um, speaking to employees at the UFCPI would have been kind of beneficial. I heard people over there are great. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't see them shooting her down about the ideas that she has because they're great ideas. So I just want your thoughts about that. If you thought about that when you were asking that question, and then uh, the UFC Fight Paris card coming up on Saturday, um, who uh, we all know about the main card, but who do you think, like on the prelims, uh, people should be um, looking at as far as here's a fighter to watch or keep your eye on. In that sense, and then one thing about one fighter on there on the freelance, Kali Taha. Um, listen, I I don't know if this is a must win for him, but I I think he should win this fight here. But 
Um, I think I was, I don't know, people I've talked to are like kind of down on Tahan. I'm like, yo, listen, this guy fought some, he lost to some, some good fighters. You know, he didn't get knocked out by them. I mean, this guy fought Marcelos and, uh, and, um, Sergey. So I'm like, listen, this guy fought some, some, some dudes. So just your thoughts about that. Mike, have a heck of a morning and, uh, thanks for everything. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the betting odds for that fight right now. It's it's a pick 'em. It's even money, essentially minus one ten on both sides. So it's a it's a coin flip fight. Should be a good one with Christian Canones. Uh, I'll dress. I mean, the the one I would say. I mean, it's pretty easy. It's Nasruddin Imovov and Joaquin Buckley is probably like the prelim fight to watch because we haven't seen Imovov in a little while. It's coming off that that big win in his last fight against Shabazian, and then he's supposed to fight. Calvin Gaslam, it didn't happen, and Buckley's looked sensational over his last couple of fights. He looked amazing in his fight with Abba Jariah, so that's probably the one. It's kind of a cheap way out. I know your boy uh, Benoit Santini is also on that card, fighting a debuting UFC fighter, Gabriel Miranda. That should be a fun fight, but I would say Santini is another one who you know, had a tough debut, short notice, up a weight class. Referee didn't do him any favors, and came back and got a win in his next fight. So, yeah, I'll go with that. The Julia Avila one. So you guys didn't get to really hear the audio or, or see any video of that conversation, but I did follow up on that. I was just like, well, why? I mean, it's not like you're you're going to the UFC brass and is being like, hey, you suck at running a business. Let me show you how to do it better. No, it's just you walking in and being like, hey, you know, I know oftentimes when fighters have – any sort of discrepancies about the company or ideas, it's automatically like, well, this fighter's complaining about the pay and this fighter's complaining about this. It's not like, like if you read the article, this is not bad at all. This is a very level-headed thing that Julia is talking about. It's not about fighter pay. It's not about money or any of that. It's a chance to grow these fighters as people other than fighters. So, what Julia has talked about, if you haven't read the article, is that she would like to see the UFC maybe implement some kind of program where fighters can take online classes for various things that could help the promotion, whether it be public relations, PR, hospitality, or even just physical fitness or physical education. And then once their fighters, the careers are over or if they're between fights but still want to do something to help the company along the way, they can pay back the company by working it off. And they learn a new skill that they can implement while paying back the company for allowing them to do this and paying for them to essentially learn a new skill. And they would pay back by working for the UFC in a certain ways. So the physical fitness one that she brought up was you have all these UFC gyms around the world. When I'm done fighting or I'm between fights, now I can be like a assistant manager or somebody runs the business side of the UFC gyms in between fights and they get paid back for the class by her working there. And then she would be obligated to work at that place for a certain amount of time. Starbucks does something very similar with new employees where they can learn not take online classes in order to grow in the business, but, and they would pay back with, you're basically agreeing to work for them for a longer period of time in order to, for them to sort of get back what they, what they put in, 
which I actually thought was a, a really good way to look at it. And the other thing that I liked that you brought up was, and this, we talked about this kind of when we stopped recording is rather than have fighters come in on a fight week on a Tuesday, make it an option that they can come in on Monday and then go to the PI or then go to UFC headquarters. And if a fighter who has knowledge of this wants to come in and teach a class or if they wanted to take a class on how to invest or how to make your money, make more money and different things like that. Like there are fighters that like James Krause is a wizard when it comes to like Airbnbs and real estate and things like that. If the UFC just offered James to come out and teach some of the other fighters about what he does and how he's been successful. And I'm not talking about the gambling stuff. Cause I know that's been brought up here, but what, but that kind of stuff, like that's cool. And some fight, you don't have to take advantage of that. But if you want to take advantage of it, you can. And you just you're just trying to grow and improve as a, not just an athlete, but as a person, because you know you can't fight forever. This is essentially setting you up for life after fighting, and I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. She also mentioned long term health insurance, which I think we all agree is the way to go. And I'm sure she never mentioned pensions, but I think that's another thing. I think you they implement that. I think a lot of the fighter pay conversations they won't stop obviously but they'll slow down a little bit but i I, it was the most level-headed approach to adding new things to be implemented by the ufc for these athletes that i've ever heard and it was really good stuff and i applaud her for that and i hope that she actually i hope the ufc actually read that it didn't just read the headline and think like that she was shitting on the promotion because she absolutely was not i just thought it was a great idea I thought she had a lot of great ideas. And we'll see if those get implemented or not. Hopefully the UFC could take her seriously. Or at least have that discussion. All right, Eric, are you there? You talking to me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How you doing, Mike? Appreciate all you do. You're a great asset to MMA fighting. Uh, I didn't think I'd actually get a chance to speak, so I'll just ask you. Uh, I would love to know your thoughts on the Marvin Vittori and Robert Whitaker fight. What do you think would be next for Rob if he wins? Could he fight? Alex Pereira, if he loses, do you think he's done enough to get another title shot? And also, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the betting odds for the main event because they seem pretty uh, crazy. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, talked about this earlier. It's just it's the stakes aren't really that high there. I mean, they're gonna have to hope both these guys are gonna have to hope that Pereira beats Adesanya not just once but twice because they're gonna run that one back if that does happen. So. I mean, they're basically just vying for the number two spot. And I I would like to see Vittori fight Adesanya again, but if I had my choice, it'd be I'd rather see Whitaker fight him a third time because that second fight was was competitive. It was close. A lot of people thought Whitaker actually won that fight. I'm not one of those people, but I thought it was very, very close. And again, these are the two best middleweights in the world. At least right now, Vittori could could change that with the victory. I think it's going to be an interesting fight. We're probably not going to see a finish. We're going to see Whitaker probably hit Marvin Vittori a bunch of times. Vittori's going to keep coming forward. I think Whitaker's going to win a 29-28 decision. If I'm betting on this fight, I'm betting on Vittori. I just think this line should be... Whitaker's a minus 215 favorite. I think this fight is closer than that. I think it's closer. I think Whitaker should be the favorite, but I think he should be like a... This one implies like 
this one should be like a 60-40, 55-45 type of situation because Vittori's a dog, and Whitaker's just not going to be able to get him out of there. I, I mean, Whitaker could strike. Whitaker's got great wrestling, great wrestling defense, so I don't think Vittori's going to really be able to score all that many takedowns in this fight. Might be able to get him down, but Whitaker could probably get right back up. But Vittori's just it's, – it's got to be just really tough to fight this guy because you could hit him with everything, and it doesn't stop him. He'll just keep coming forward. So I think – that there's a ton of value on Marvin at plus 185. Uh, I think that line's just a little too juice. Main event lines, Jet. I mean, I think it's about right, honestly. It's about right. Minus 580, come back on two of Asa plus 440. And this is not a disrespectful take. This is just, it's fighting. This is it. I think we can all agree on this. Tai Tuivasa could win this fight. And I know it's kind of cliche to say a fighter has a puncher's chance, but this is probably a puncher's chance type of scenario here. Like if Tai lands, if Cyril Gan rests on his laurels and doesn't mind his P's and Q's throughout this fight, it gets a little sloppy. He will lose. He could very well lose. But if Cyril Gan fights a Cyril Gan fight, that may not all be all that aesthetically beautiful to watch. Cyril should win. Cyril should win. He's the better striker by far. He's the better athlete by far. He probably won't wrestle too much, but he has that in his back pocket if he needs it. He has power, obviously not as much as Ty. I mean, Gon just has everything going for him here, but Ty just has that sort of equalizer, that power. But again, this is one of those things that Cyril's just going to have to get through the first eight minutes of this fight. And once this fight hits round three, I think he can not cruise, but I think he can kind of have his way with, with Ty. But Jed, if you listen to BTL, Jed will say that this line should be way higher for gone. It should be minus close to minus a thousand. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I think the line's about right. Considering skill for skill with these guys. I think gone is way more. It's just the more complete guy. But Ty does have that equalizer that could change things up. Let's go to Crying Belly. Got to unmute. Not hearing you. Try again, Crying Belly. Let's go to Abzwalia. I'm going to try to get to everybody before we get out of here. Abzwalia, yeah, what's up, man? Good good man, you? Doing good. Yeah, so um, I just actually want to talk first about um, specifically the Buckley fight because he's fighting a ranked fighter. I think um, if I think I could actually see him winning because you know he has a lot of tools on his side and he's a very good puncher and you know he's been doing very well his last few fights. And let's say if he wins, I think he should be you know possibly looking to fight someone like um in the top 10 next, you know, because I think he could be the next um, gatekeeper of the division or possibly have a chance to uh, get a tire shot down the line, you know. And I also actually want to speak briefly on um, 280, the Oliveira card. I actually think um, it'll be interesting to see how that card plays out with him and Islam because, and anyone else who's found that whole card in the main event, because it's, whatever's happening there is going to shape up the future of the UFC and, and particularly the bantamweight and lightweight division. And I can see, um, you know, Charles actually beating Islam because he has a lot of 
tools on his side and he seems very um, calm and composed. And if he wins that fight, presumably, uh, I would, you know, if I had my dream choice, I would like to see him fight Khabib to see who's the best lightweight of their, you know, era. Or if not, maybe I could see him fighting, um, you know, Conor McGregor next or possibly, you know, the winner of um, uh, Justin Gaethje versus um, uh, Fizev, you know. But otherwise, for now, you know, that's still a while away, but that's just my early predictions. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah I, I, I love the Imovov-Buckley fight. Should be really interesting. I'm, I'm favoring Imovov. I think he's the real deal. But Buckley's looked real good as of late. He's getting better and better. He's not just a, a guy that's going to go out and look for the highlight real knockout anymore. He's learning to fine-tune his game a little bit. So I think that's one of the more interesting fights on the entire card. Uh, but I think Imovov is just is just better in a lot of ways where, where Buckley falls. And then, yeah, I mean, listen, lightweight's really interesting. If Charles wins, I think he's going to wait for the Connor fight, and he probably should at this point. He's been asked for it for a while. I think with the road he's had, some of the names he's had to beat along the way, I think if the UFC will allow him to do that, which I think him taking the fight in Abu Dhabi, that's got to be part of the, the plan, if you will. Yeah, I could see that happening. I think. I mean, Oliver is a dog. If you're going to give me Oliver a dog money ever again, I'm, I would take it from a betting perspective. I, I I know a lot of people are saying the Gaethje Vizie fight is happening. It's not happening December 10th, at least unless something drastic changes. Uh, it was being discussed. I know some social media platforms said it was close to being finalized. It's not true. It's just not true. Maybe it happens. Maybe something happens at the 11th hour and, think, and plans change. But as soon as I saw those posts, I reached out and was told that that is not the case. Uh, it was being discussed for that date. Doesn't appear like that date's a possibility. Maybe they try to push it back to another card. And who knows? Maybe Gage is just like, nah, man, I want Connor. And I wouldn't blame him for that, if we're being honest. So, yeah. Lightweight's fun. Super fun. Always is. Let's go to Ellie Ram, and then we'll go to Brian Cashman. Ellie Ram, hello. You got on mute. Hey, hey. How are you? Here we go. What's up, buddy? Everything is great. Um, just wanted to talk about uh, the, uh, the uh, Whitaker and... Uh, Vittori. And uh, Marvin Vittori fight, yeah. I think uh, even though Vittori uh, has a lot of steam going into this fight um, and he's got the, the pressure, as he stated, I think I think the difference will be uh, Robert Whittaker's uh, fight IQ. And this is not a knock on Vittori, but m most of his fights, what he does is bringing that pressure and eventually taking you down and scoring points. I think, as you stated, uh, Whitaker has a great, uh, um, great defense on that part, but his fight IQ is very high. He's only second to Israel Adesanya, and it's kind of the situation for Kobe Covington being second to Usman. I think uh, we are witnessing, we're going to witness a masterclass of Whitaker, and uh, and I'm guess, and I'm I'm just wondering what's next for Whitaker after that. Is it a third fight against Israel Adesanya? I know they they asked Dana about it, and he said it's probably uh, uh, something to consider. I personally wouldn't want to watch it, 
But there's also rumors that Whitaker is going to jump up a division. So I wonder what's going to happen with that. Yeah, man, it's it's got to be interesting. I it's it probably is all going to depend on how the fight plays out, and probably there won't be any, especially on the Whitaker side. There probably won't be any like official decisions made until after November twelfth, when Adesanya fights Pereira. Because if Pereira wins that fight, they're going to probably run it back, and if Pereira wins a second time, Whitaker with a win over Vittori probably jumps to the front of the line and gets a title fight. So, but if Izzy wins, if Whitaker wins. Maybe he fights Paulo Costa. I think that's a pretty big fight for him. And a fight he could probably win. So he might just stick around for that and try to get another win. Maybe get back to Izzy. But yeah, 205 is an option too. So yeah, he's going to be real interesting to watch over the next few months. Especially if he wins this fight. All right, there's four people waiting. I'm going to get to you all very quickly because we've got a preview show coming up at noon Eastern. Brian, hello. What's up, Mike? Been a while. Thanks, buddy. First off, I mean... I know I tweeted at you, but that Cage Titan scene was just the most crazy thing I've ever seen. It was wild. I was there when Andre Muniz snapped Jacare's arm, and this one blew that out of the door. I was, I was like, what the hell just happened? This kid's 18? This kid's crazy. Um, so I can't wait to listen to your podcast about that. But uh, what I was wondering... If Ty Tuvasa wins, I mean, it's going to be in spectacular fashion. That's the way he's going to win. He's going to knock the knock Sirogan out, maybe do a shoey with a bottle of wine, something like that. But, I mean, with the whole John Jones, Steve Bay, Francis stuff, I don't think they're going to throw him into a title shot, which I think they should, because jump, like, strike while the iron's hot. But, I mean, you have Curtis Blades there, who could be – the best heavyweight in the world. Yeah, he lost to Francis twice. Yeah, he got colded by Derek Lewis. But, I mean, that guy is going to be there, and they're going to have to throw him up there at some point. So do you think they just maybe use Ty to build Curtis Blades' name more? I don't know. I, I just I don't want to see it, but I was just wondering what you had to think about that. I don't think so. I don't think that's what happens, honestly. If if Ty loses, I think they'll just try to. I did. I think Dawkins is fighting Jarzinho. Maybe he gets the winner of that main event of a fight night or something. I don't think they would. I think they just keep putting Ty in fun fights. Honestly, I don't think he's going to be. He's the Cinderella story. He's not really a guy that you build a name off of. He's the guy that you hope wins he's not Robbie Lawler he's freaking tied to Ivasa he's kind of in a a place all of his own in, in, in a lot of regards so yeah I don't know if they go that route I think if Cyril Gon wins I think that's the fight they'll do they'll just do Cyril Gon versus Curtis Blades to kind of keep this Grand Prix going and if Tai to Ivasa wins then his next fight should be for the belt his next fight should be for the belt at least that's what I think but we shall see what happens. The UFC does some some pretty weird things. I I freaking hated this fight when it was first announced. I'm like, well, how how can you do tie so dirty like this? But we'll see what happens. All right, let's go to Cleve, and then we'll go to Average Avenues, then Jay, then Crypto, and then we got to go. Cleve, hello. Hey, how you doing, Mike? What's up, buddy? 
Hey, I got a question. Uh, who do you think in the lightweight division from the prospects has the highest chance of being a lightweight champ? You know, from Gamrod to Fizzles, Chaz McKinney, Patty. Like, who do you think has the highest, you know, chances of being a champ of the division? It's a great question. I love that question. I think Fazeev, we, we've talked about this before. I think we talked about it on one of the last, a couple of ranking shows ago. I think Fazeev will be the first to fight for the belt of the, the crop of prospects. I think that's not like a, a huge reach on my end. I mean, I didn't, I also didn't think Gamrot was going to get to fight Benil Dariush after the Sarukian win. I favor Benil to win that fight, but it's a great fight. But I'm going to stick with my guns. I'm going to stick with what I've been saying. I know he's coming off of a, and I'm putting air quotes up, he's coming off of a loss to Matush Gamrat, which I still don't think Armand Sarukian lost that fight. I've watched that fight more than any other fight this year. And I'm just trying to find, like, I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, what did I miss? What did I miss that says that Sarukian lost that fight? And I haven't been able to find it yet. I haven't been able to find it. So I think, and Sarukian's super green still. Like he's 25 years old. He's only going to get better. He's got like seven good years ahead of him. And he's just only going to improve. That loss, quote unquote, to Gamrot, he is going to grow so much from that. He really is. So to me, my fa- if I'm putting out betting lines, prospects who I feel most confident will be a UFC champion, it's Armand Sarukian. That's the correct answer. Maybe McKinney can get there. I just don't know. Patty's definitely not getting there unless something crazy happens. Like I've talked about Patty many times. You just have to book him wins at this point. It's not about building him to a title shot. It's just about getting him wins and making the London fans happy. That's how you book Patty. That's what you do. You throw Patty in there with Armand Sarukian right now, he's going to get trucked. I mean, annihilated by Armand Sarukian. That fight is not even close for one second. There's not one second of that fight that is competitive. But that's okay. That's okay. You can make a great career making people happy and being in fights and winning and sending the crowd home happy. You can have a great career doing that. All right. Average avenues, you are up. Yes. What's up? And then I've got sort of like a comment. Um, my question, um, first of all, is with um, 279 coming up and the main event not have, having a, t- a title fight attached to it, just your thoughts on pay-per-views that don't have that main event having a title attached to them. And my comment, I just want to give you your praises, man. You know, I appreciate you doing this show, have, taking your time out of your day to talk to us. You know, I'm just, me, myself, I'm just like a nobody with like less than 10 followers. So it's pretty cool that you do this. Just have a heck of a morning, man. Cheers. Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah. That's uh, I, I appreciate the kind words. I'm I'm trying to do like 87 things at once, so I, I actually forgot your question. So I'm sorry, Jay. Are you hey, there? Hey, Mike, can you hear me? Yes. All right. So I have two quick things. One is 
from listening to all Siragon's interviews and everything on social media, he seems very calm and very collected for this fight coming up. But do you just think that maybe fighting in his hometown might get to him a bit? Like, maybe he's behind all his, like, calm attitude. Like, he may be nervous inside. I don't know. I just feel like maybe once he steps into the octagon, it's going to be a little different. I just want to get your thoughts on that. And then also, um, I'm pretty sure you're aware, but, like, Patty recently came out and he thinks that he has, like, some type of eating disorder. And so I don't know if that's serious or not, but I just wanted to get your opinion on that too as well. And have a heck of a morning, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I did. I assume that's from the the Sibo interview. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I I don't really want to comment on that because I haven't heard the the clip or seen any quotes or anything like that. Um, but it's clear. I mean, anybody that's really talked about it, it understands that what he's doing is not really smart as a professional fighter to cut all that weight and then put it all back on and then cut it all again. It's just, it's got to be taxing on the body. I mean, he's young enough for now where I mean, it might, it's probably going to suck for him, but eventually it's going to get to a point where it's just, it's just brutal. It's just real brutal. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to comment on the, the eating disorder thing. Cause I just, I don't know enough about it and I haven't watched it or, or, or seen anything. So, uh, all right, crypto take us home, my man. Cause I am running up against it. Hope you're doing well. Uh, okay, as it is a free-for-all uh, Friday, I'm going to ask you a different question. So, Mike, I'm going to give you three different potential rematch fights that may seem a bit absurd but can still occur, and I want you to tell me which one is the most likely and the least likely to occur. So, fight number one is Ben Askren coming out of retirement to fight Masvidal, uh, which he actually said this week and was fairly surprised about that. Fight number two is Mike Perry granting MVP a rematch, but under the unified rules of MMA. Uh, also stated during the MMA hour in a great interview by Ariel there, but that is actually something that could happen. And fight number three is uh, Dominic Cruz against uh, Mr. Worst Retirement Ever. Um, and yeah, I don't even want to, we don't, we don't say his name, Mike. We, we, we don't say his name. <laughs> Uh, because if there is a slim, slim possibility that there's even one listener uh, here that doesn't know who I'm talking about, we do. We want to keep it that way, basically. So, um, in essence, those are the three potential uh, rematches, which are a bit strange, but at the same time could be a bit fun. Which one is the most likely and the least likely of those three? Thank you, Mike. Was okay. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, all right. Least likely is Ben Askren fighting Jorge Mazadal because I mean, Mazadal. I mean, what's the point? What like what point? Like, what's the point of Mazadal even entertaining the thought of that fight? You can never do it any better. I just don't think the Askren buzz is there any longer. Like, I know people care about what he has to say certain times, but is anybody going to take that seriously? No. So that's number three. Uh, Number one, I think I, I, I think the Perry MVP fight can happen at Bellator. I definitely think it can happen. It makes sense. I mean, Bellator lent MVP to BKFC. BKFC could certainly lend Mike Perry back to them. Little, little scratch your back, I'll scratch, scratch my back, scratch yours type of situation. I think this is, there's a strong chance that happens. I mean, what else is there for MVP in MMA right now? There's not much. He just fought for the belt or 
He fought for the interim title against Storley and lost. Kind of got robbed going back and remembering that fight. And I actually feel like he got robbed in the Mike Perry fight, if we're being honest. Because that was a freaking knockdown. He didn't get credit for it. And if they give him credit for that damn knockdown, he wins the fight. There is no, there is no draw. There is no split sudden victory round. And that's how you could build the story. I think that that's very possible. Cruz against the former two-division champion that shall not be named. In the real... It, it could happen. It could happen, but it's now gotten to the point for me that until this person that shall not be named actually steps inside of an octagon with another fighter to actually fist fight, I don't believe that this person is actually going to come back and fight at all. Because this person wants a title fight. He's not going to get it. At 35, he wants it at 45. He's definitely not getting that. He's poking and prodding Connor. He's certainly not getting that. So, yeah. I'll go... Yeah, so I'll go MVP, Perry 2, MMA, number 1, Cruz versus person that shall not be named, number 2, but it's almost a tie with Ben Askren, Mazadal, too, if we're being honest. So, great question, great way to end things. I got to get out of here. Uh, you can head to MMAfighting.com in like five minutes. You can watch the UFC Paris ceremonial weigh-ins, which is going down. And then at the top of the hour, myself... Prince of Positivity, A.K. Lee, and Jed Bashu will be going live for the UFC Paris preview show on the MMA Fighting YouTube channel. So we have a lot left to do. I have a lot more to say. So join us. Thank you very much. Always fun. Always enjoy these free-for-all Fridays. And if you are in the United States, enjoy the fights tomorrow. Enjoy the long weekend ahead of us, Labor Day weekend. And enjoy the rest of your Friday, everybody. And always remember, have a heck of a morning. Thank you all. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.